Welcome to The Breakpoint Show. I am Gil Gross, joined by Alex Gruskin. This is the only podcast completely dedicated to breaking down each and every episode of the no longer new tennis docuseries on Netflix called Breakpoint. For all of our new fans who just discovered us over the course of a thrilling 2023 Roland Garros, uh, you can go back and watch our first five episodes. You can also watch our interview with Taylor Fritz. You can watch our interview with Brian Koppelman. And you could even watch our interview with my friend Joe Abitanta. I don't know why you would do such a thing like that, but you could. It's out there if you'd like. Episode six has arrived, Alex. I want to start here before we get into the episode. Last, like the first batch, right? It dropped at the start of the Australian Open, right? Like those things happen simultaneously. Was this our first adjustment here where they're like, okay, let's not release these episodes as a major tournament is starting? And how about two weeks before Wimbledon? Yeah, I do like that the off-season between parts one and two of Breakpoint was longer than the off-season of the actual tennis Mm. calendar. I do think they made some tactical adjustments, and I'm sure we'll talk about them throughout the course of these next five episodes. It's clear that they made the most of their additional five, six months, specifically with episodes six and seven. In my opinion, you could just tell there were storylines or things they didn't explore in the first five episodes that they certainly did in episode six, as we'll talk about today, that in my opinion, made this the best episode of the series to date. But why did they choose this moment to drop part six through 10? I'm sure the Netflix algorithm had a specific reason as to why, and we'll never know the exact nuances of that answer. I do think it was to the benefit of the show because A, it allowed the first five episodes to breathe, and B, I again not to beat this drum, but they made changes, needed changes, and we'll explore them today. Yeah, so I agree with all of that. I just thought the first batch of episodes, there was actually obviously more hype because it was something new and something highly anticipated. It got buried a little bit with the Australian Open. It was overloaded. Look, I'm I'm not trying to, I I know we can be in in our own bubble here, and I think you and I originally were just like, oh, this is, This is a lot all at once. Uh, But I actually think getting away from that, like nobody cares about our our workload or our sleep schedule, right? Getting away from that, I actually think this just was refreshing. It made a lot more sense that, okay, yes, the hype has died down. It's no longer new. But do you know what has really helped here? The fact that there's no like massive uh, tennis event that is taking away and sucking oxygen from the release of these Breakpoint episodes. So I don't want to beat this drum to death, but that was my feeling on it. I have one more follow-up, and then we can move on. Tennis Overload is a perfect 
way of framing it because, A, it's the start of a new year. And so much is happening at the start of a new year for every human being. Even if in the school calendar here in the States it's halfway through, it's the flipping to a new year. And whether it's work-related, whatever it is, obviously start of a new sporting season, certainly as a tennis fan, it was a lot to process. The start of the tennis season, you have the ending of football, you have college football coming to, to its conclusion, which I know doesn't matter much to Syracuse, but matters to a lot of the country. You have other things just, you know, again, it was a, a, a confluence of events. Plus, you had full swing. You had another F1 series being released as well. Just immediate things for Breakpoint to not be allowed to breathe on its own. Things that had it had to immediately be compared to. And again, how did the excitement of the actual series match up to the hype it was receiving in the moment in January as sort of the ceremonial kickoff to what was supposed to be a really fun 2023 season. It see, I think where this is my final part of this rant, and I'm curious your thoughts. I don't know if it's a positive thing that the release of episode six through 10 wasn't met with the same sort of excitement and anticipation as the first five episodes were for this series, because looking back, and this is my question to you to disrupt your show outline before we even get started four months later retro you know time to reflect on the first five episodes I don't know if they stuck in the sporting fans conscience not the tennis fans conscience but the sporting fans conscience the way people were hoping via the anticipation and it's a little disappointing that right off the bat I think the first episode is better and it doesn't receive the hype because, to your point, so much was happening when the first five episodes were released that they almost did get swept under the rug. Yeah. Uh, I mean, okay. So you you went you yeah went a lot of different places there. I mean, welcome back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, look. It wasn't going to have the same hype. Even the the first five episodes would have needed to be killer. Because yeah. when things aren't new anymore, they're not new anymore. Uh, new, new is exciting. Old is less exciting. Fair. So yes, uh, there wasn't the mystery. What is this going to be like? Is this going to be? Is this going to hit like Drive to Survive? Is this going to uh, launch tennis up to crazy popularity suddenly? And uh, no, that that didn't happen. And what you say about the first five not being memorable is. Uh, is interesting. Um, I think let's just get into it. I open Netflix and it's the first thing on like my trailer head, like what to watch next. The algorithm knows what you're up there. Like, come on, if Gil Gross isn't watching this, we up. That's correct. That, <laughs> I, that would be bad. But so Netflix knows they knew. And it's this whole thing of basically Titi Pass and Curios mm -hmm. and their contrasting views on Wimbledon. And, you know, it, it sets up that third round match so immediately that's the crown jewel of the episode it's curious and, or, or i'm not even going to say the episode the season like that's yeah. the season trailer now obviously that's going to come up right away in fact episode six the first season of the sorry the first episode of the second batch uh but what do you think of i mean what do you make of immediately highlighting okay back to nick curios this was what episode one was and I guess of all of the the first five, 
I do feel like the the one that stuck with most of the casuals was probably the Curios episode. Uh, even though I think a lot of the the tennis people who dislike Curios may have been actually like actively turned off by it. But ultimately, if you're casting as wide a net as you possibly can, I feel like Nick was the the perfect angle to kind of jump into this next batch with. Why episode six? We'll get into the meat of it right away. Why it worked better than any other episode we've had thus far is for the first time in a real way, we had conflict. We did not have any conflict in the first five episodes. You had a lot of setting the scene, which, by the way, you have to do at the start of every show. And in episode 10, Gil, I won't get us too off track today, but in episode 10, we should have the conversation of should they have released all 10 episodes at the same time versus releasing the first five, letting them sit, then releasing the second five. Because I do wonder strategically if that might have been a blunder. That said, we didn't have to waste waste is the wrong word but we didn't have to waste time with the exposition of here's Nick Kyrgios and what he represents we didn't waste time with here's Steph Tsitsipas and what he represents yes we got re- reiterations of what they had each gone through what a character like Anjabur and Isla Tamjanovic who were introduced in the five uh, first five episodes just a reminder of who they are in the big picture of things but the central crux of the episode was conflict and it was Nick Kyrgios versus the institution. And then it was character on character in Kyrgios versus Tsitsipas. And we just hadn't had that in a tangible way in ep- any episode before this one. And now that we've gotten it, it's just like, yes, this is yeah. the show. Let's find more of this. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely correct. There was not a single instance where it's like in the first five where it's, Oh, these two individuals are playing each other. They're very different. They don't like each other. Here's why they don't like each other. And it's very clear, like, they are philosophically very, very different kind of people. We got that in Kyrgios versus Tsitsipas. And and also to your point, like, you're right. Every single character that was introduced in the first five was like, let's take five minutes now to be like, this was, I guess for, for Ans, it was somewhat relevant, but it's like, let's go back to like when they were a child and yeah. where they're from and here's their mom and here's their dad. And it's like, mm, I'm not really here for the, uh, I don't know, biography of the player's childhoods. No, just to add to this, Couscous was very cute. It's not the sure. central theme and it's not a conflict in a show. Taylor Fritz jumping while entertaining and landing funny is disappointing for a main character and a source of conflict internally, but not a conflict that draws you into continuing to watch the show unless you think Taylor Fritz is, you know, uh, we love Taylor Fritz here on this show, but unless you're just unequivocally attracted to the character of Fritz or some aspect of him, him jumping and injuring himself is not enough to get you into the show. You know, again, learning about Kyrgios is fascinating, but how do all of those demons and all those internal conflicts manifest themselves into outward problems that he has to solve? We finally got that. Like it was no, it wasn't foo-foo. It was, this is real, you know, again, Nadal in the tunnel versus Rude. That's one of the standout moments of the first five episodes because you feel the conflict. You feel the anticipation of two competitors stepping into the arena. 
you got that in this episode. Yeah. Like, I, finally. Ep- episode five was actually when we said that we got it for the first time. Yeah. Uh, but it was the Uncle Tony, Felix. Sure. This is this is weird. This is uncomfortable. There's there's something stomach turning about this situation. Yeah. So we got conflict there. So, but this is the first time where it's actually about uh, two competitors, an on-court battle. Yeah, and you can pick a side. Like there's some like you're not gonna root for Uncle Tony. Like it's just like that's a like oh he he makes a good argument arguing for his nephew. It's like that's not a fun barroom discussion to have. I think all of us remember July Fourth weekend, 2022, of being the weekend where at some point you got a text of Yo, are you watching Pas Curios right now? Because it's nuts. And like that was they captured it. They got it. And it's a yeah. credit to the players, but it's a credit to the team being like Yo, we have something here. Let's not this up. Numbers-wise, on YouTube, there was that post-match video is one of my most viewed of all time. Mm -hmm. And I started with just tennis analysis. I didn't get to the behavior stuff like (laughs) until like minute 20 because I I was disgusted after that. That's just Monday match analysis for you. Well, exactly, right? (laughs) We'll we'll talk. Now, now here's the thing. We're not going to get to do a post-mortem on that match in Mm -hmm. this in this podcast episode, we'll do that next time because they didn't finish the match in episode True. six of Breakpoint, which was which was fascinating. So let's kind of move this forward here. Um, by the way, they opened up with some vibes from the first five episodes, which is which is normal, right? If you are watching Succession or Barry, okay, two shows that I've enjoyed very much recently. The only two uh, shows you've ever watched, but sure, carry on. Eh, get out get out of here, all right? Very, <laughs> very topical show. They're just the two best shows right now. I'm sorry that I watched the two best shows from the last year. Um, you know, you have like a, oh, in case you forgot, this is what's up, okay? That's the very street way of saying it. But uh, they tried to do this, and I would say the only moment that was recalled that was like that gave you like the oh yeah that happened that moment was they literally took the business center back and forth they just took it in full did you notice that (laughs) well first of all david kane made this point in an article he wrote for tennis.com about breakpoint which is worth reading on how you kind of don't need to do that as a show because it's already happened. This is a retrospective. Everyone knows how things end. And so I do like that they picked, because there really were only five, and they were like, here are the five best scenes. Let's show them to you one more time. This is why this show is worth watching. And shout out to both Isla and Berrettini when asked, like, hey, you guys broke up. We kind of made it a storyline. Can you give us, like, I don't know, three to six sentences on why and where things are from there? And to their credit, they did. And those are the sort of plot points that, again, connect one episode to the next and just give the show a through line. And yes, I did notice that. I liked it. I thought we got exactly the... We did. It wasn't overdrawn of we have to reintroduce everyone. It was just a reminder, this is where we left off with them. Yeah, I, I mean, look, again, I don't mean to take the negative approach here. I was just like, oh, wow. No, like I there, agree. There, there weren't a lot of moments where it's just like, hey, yeah. let's remind let's remind the viewers of that moment and this yeah. moment. And that and like that was the only one that actually hit me. Uh, but since you mentioned the Berrettini 
kind of follow-up, the Tamjanovic Berrettini follow-up. First of all, I love that we've gotten to a point where, you know, we can call back on on stuff from past episodes. Like yeah. that's what a show needs to be in order for a show to work. Uh, look, cool. respect to them, but let's not act like they spilled the tea here. They did not spill the tea, <laughs> Dustin. I mean, yeah, they but gave Chris the bare Everett, minimum. But Chris Everett spilled the tea when she's like, you know why she's this good? Because she's single. Yeah, uh, and exactly. I was like, that's give me the tea. We don't even know who broke up with who. Again, uh, Matt, we don't, we don't, did they say? you? No, it did seem very mutual. You're right. They didn't say? Look, yeah. again, respect. Yeah. But better TV if you know. Anyway, well, let's this go gets on. Me, yeah, oh, sorry. Last thing, I swear. Okay. I'll stop beating the drum afterwards. This gets me back to the point, and you just brought it up as the example. You know how you can lean on episodes one through five when watching six through ten? Wouldn't it have been nice to do that in the moment and just had the full through line and the full plot point? Or if you weren't ready with six and ten, should they have waited with one through five? This is a theme, I think, throughout the course of the episodes we will be discussing. And I'm curious what people tuning into these episodes think if they would have enjoyed this storyline better. Maybe in the binge era, this is just how us millennials feel, um, but all at once. Okay. Uh I'm, I don't I don't really have a strong take on it right now, but maybe that'll change. Yeah. So uh, we introduced Wimbledon. Uh, you know, this is kind of an opportunity already to kind of portray the differing ideas of what Wimbledon is. They have Titi Pass giving this very rosy, romantic description of the All England <laughs> Club. And then they just cut to Nick and he's just like, yeah, I'm not going to conform. Uh, so that good intro cool. overall. Oh my god! Six out of ten on the impression. Carry on. <laughs> uh, you know, they. I think I thought there was a moment immediately that highlighted one of the adjustments that we talked about, where it's like there wasn't a lot of pushback to anything anyone said in the first five episodes. I noticed right away. Nick Curios basically said like. Yeah, if I can do it in singles, or if I can do it in doubles, I can do it in singles. And then they clearly asked Andy Roddick what he thought, and Andy was like, yeah, that's a stretch. <laughs> and it is a stretch. Like, that's one of the most asinine things I've ever heard. You can't do it in singles if you can do it in doubles, or like Cabal and Farah would win the US Open. So I, I just like that immediately... It's like, okay, we're doing a better job of actually checking these statements and getting a little bit of back and forth between the interviewers. Why would, I, why would I apologize? Why would I apologize? I mean, he made the mistake. Why would I apologize? Like, that's <laughs> how you – better curious impression. I need you to rate us in the comments, folks. You're absolutely right. And I do think, again, having some time to, re uh, to think about things, Roddick, Sharapova – and I can't believe these words are about to come out of my mouth, but Patrick Murataglu, or however you want to say it, they are very good at providing commentary of each of these players and offering candid thoughts. And I thought Murataglu in particular in analyzing not just Nick, but Steph, and speaking really? on the impact of their emotions. Yeah, because I do think that is the overwhelming factor in a series where Tennis hasn't been the superstar. It hasn't been serve, plus one, forehand analysis. It's this technical thing that separates A from B. 
where it is talking more at a superficial level. And it is true. When the, his emotions get the best of him, that's when Steph gets sloppy. When he can channel them in the right way, he can be magical. I thought Muradoglu painted that picture beautifully. To your point, Roddick's analysis on Kyrgios was exceptional. Sharapova speaking to the moment, the grandeur, the pageantry, and then the pressure associated with that. I thought the analysis, the analysts were spot on in their analysis. Muradoglu called Tsitsipas, and he should, by the way, because Stefanos has uh, been to his academy supports his academy. He is not an unbiased source here, but he said he's a model of professionalism. I don't think that's untrue in terms of his off-court preparation and the way he goes about dedicating himself to his craft. And you heard Steph, uh, Steph, sorry, that's a college tennis, different player. You heard Stephanos discuss those things in, you can call separate, in separating himself from Kyrgios, right? That was a, a point he yeah. highlighted in in making the contrast. I didn't think anything was unfair. It was hyperbolic, no, uh, maybe, but not unfair. That, that's fair. That's fair. I just think I, I think if we did a poll right now, is Steph <laughs> a model of professionalism? Okay. On, on this video, I'm, I'm going eighty percent no. On that. But was 80, he dating Bedosa a year ago when this no, series wasn't. was shot? Big difference. Okay, so. Uh, I thought that there wasn't a ton of forward momentum in the episode for maybe 20 minutes after the intro. Uh, but then uh, we get into the tennis kind of starting and we get Kyrgios versus Job, which was a first round. Uh, there is a ball abuse controversy, a lineswoman who goes to quote unquote snitch on Kyrgios's foul language. <laughs> that match actually goes five sets. And I think Nick just says some things after the match that most players aren't willing to say. He said, he said he played, first of all, he said he was playing like such And he said he played one of the worst matches in three years. Worst matches he's played in three years and still won. There's also, he spit after match point, got fined 15,000 for that. We got some uh, press conference drama. Why should I apologize? Exactly. And then, uh, after the press conference happened, the show did something that I thought it was hesitant to do in the first five episodes, which is highlight the social media buzz. I, I thought they just, I love the intention, like, good job, we're almost there, but not quite. Like, why are we doing anonymous Twitter eggs with like blurred out <laughs> usernames? Like, these could be made up tweets for all we know. Like, can you just show is there is this illegal uh, are there laws i'm not aware of uh, that I'm pretty has, sure it's, it's got to be identity related maybe or you I need mean, permission I, but it's look, public I, I thought i thought and we blame elon we don't need to get into a legal discussion here but i was under the impression that if somebody if i let's just say me if i tweet something mm -hmm. anybody can put that wherever the f they want like yeah. it's totally in the public i tweeted it that's it so I feel like we can do better than like no anonymous like egg that doesn't do it at, that just doesn't do it for me. But yeah, I'm glad that we're trying to incorporate the kind of uh, temperature of of the moment it's using credit, social media. It's a credit to the producers. It is partially a credit to Nick Kyrgios as well. They showed the conflict. They showed him reporters yelling at one another. It was after. 
Uh, I might be an episode ahead. Never mind. Season seven okay. after after the season. Well, it's not a spoiler. Episode seven after the Tsitsipas match, they get a clip of Kiro saying, oh, I'm looking forward to this press conference. And, you know, again, they don't shy from, dare I say, questionable character and questionable actions and things that genuinely deserved the scorn and dare I say, disapproval for many fans from Kyrgios. It's why he's so captivating. He's a polarizing talent. It's why, you know, again, even in those moments, you are drawn to watching him as a fan because there is something magnetic about it. They dove into that. They embraced that fact, and they showed every aspect of it, on court, in competition, how it manifests itself, how it manifests itself during a match in the dynamic between he and his box, between he and the press afterwards, between he and social media afterwards. They just didn't shy from it. And as a fan, all you're asking for is candidness. And when in F1, I think about, not the latest season, but the one prior to that where Mercedes and Red Bull comes down to the final race of the year and just the genuine disdain Total Wolf and Christian Horner have for one another. And they talk about it openly and they show that on camera. That was, they just embraced the open disdain. It wasn't necessarily Tsitsipas versus Kyrgios, but it was so many versus Kyrgios. And you just need conflict in a show. And this one had it. I agree. Yeah. After the job match comes what I think is the most powerful. Well, can I ask quickly you on the yeah. curious thing as a rep and this is an inside baseball tennis question. Are you fine with this being the representation of the sport that this curious phenomenon has the gravity of a storyline of a full episode that it's appeared in this show? It, it's the right move. Okay. Why? I, I asked, I asked the question early on. Um, actually to, to start, right? Like, yeah. how do we this feel way, we about We talked about it one through five, but I think it's worth rehashing. Yeah, but this, again, like the the mainstream and widespread interest that this Kyrgios CT Pass match generated at Wimbledon is is worthy of this because the, the again, you, you just, whatever the most, the widest number of people are interested in, that's what they should go with. And look, I get it. There's a lot of people who love this sport deeply, who who hate that that this is what the show is focusing on. I respect their opinions, but this is a numbers game. Yeah. And this is Netflix. And there's no doubt that in this actually kind of somewhat conflict-averse sport, okay, because we, we I think, rightly criticized the first five episodes for just shying away from moments where they could have gone into it and didn't but all things considered there's also a lack of opportunity to actually get into these things because there's less conflict in tennis than than in some other sports interpersonally especially publicly so you have to take it where it exists and it existed here and and look how about this you can't say anything about well it's not relevant to to wimbledon because no like the guy made the final Nick made the final. So you can't say that they are stooping so low as to just, you know, cherry pick from the world number 50 who's going to lose in the third round just because he throws tantrums. That's inaccurate. Like this guy is a very relevant contender at this time. Yeah, well said. All right. I was saying after the jub match comes probably the most rawest, 
emotional sequence in the show where Nick gets into 2019, calls it the lowest point of his career. He says, I hated the kind of person I was. I was drinking. I was abusing drugs. I lost all the relationships in my life. Uh, one of the damning details that he revealed is that his whole arm was covered in scars. And that's why he was wearing that kind of basketball style shooting sleeve that I think we all assumed that Nick was wearing because he loves basketball and that he was trying to, you know, look like Jason Tatum or something. But really there was a much, you know, darker reason behind that. I just think that what makes any docu, any sports documentary or sports nonfiction uh, compelling is when the athletes can tear down those walls and be a hundred percent vulnerable for Nick to do that, uh, was, was really, was really great. And also I'm happy that he's in a place where he can, he can look back at that, talk about that honestly. And, uh, hopefully that, you know, it brings a lot of relief and therapy to him. Yeah. You use the exact word honesty and to hear it, not just from him, but from his sister, from his dad, from his, from uh, from Horse, uh, his manager as well, it felt very real. And you know, anyone who followed the sport from afar, it was very clear in 2019 something was wrong with Nick Kyrgios. And to learn these details all these years later, this is what a show like this is supposed to be a vessel for: to tell these stories, to reveal these details that we wouldn't otherwise know. And you know, again, it speaks to why you can see how important it is to have the right environment around you as an athlete or how quickly things can spiral and how important it is for Nick and his parents and Horace again and his girlfriend and the entire team to just for them if they're not in the right mindset Nick cannot have success on court and you learn why that's the case throughout this episode which is again when this show is working at its best yeah so ultimately, he ends up uh, he ends up checking into a, a psych ward in the UK mm-hmm. in 2019. Uh, there's also this amazing scene painted where his father woke up by his bedside crying, and that was kind of the turning point. And then Horse got into kind of how his job is to minimize stress. It's yeah. just to kind of take away all of the the factors that could kind of get put Nick back in that place. And so not I thought to make that was light really good that, insight. Though? I agree. Horse, though, adds to the stress level in the kitchen because that man's trying to do too much. Like, Mr. Kyrus is like, I got it. And Horse is like, no, I should cut the onions. Right? He's like, dude, I got the onions. Just, like, sit down and be ready to eat. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. We all know that AirPods in it all. All right, transition to Isla. Uh, We bring back Isla Tomjanovic, who was featured in episode two earlier in the season. Uh, They get right away into the Mateo breakup. We already talked about that. Uh, But then really, I think what comes in is is she's having a a horrible season or a bad season, at least. Maybe horrible is a little bit hyperbolic. And as a result, Rotko, her father, has come to the rescue. Rotko is here. He's the winner of the episode. I mean, the best character we've been introduced to maybe thus far, and there have been a lot of fun ones, but... He's a goofball. He's just, again, a breath of fresh air and 
for those who aren't as familiar with typical tennis relationships, often there is a particular parent who is the driving inspiration behind the success, whether it's a father or a mother. In many different cases, it just depends. And in Isla's case, it is Rotko who has been working with her throughout the course of her career and clearly with things not just career-wise not where she wanted to be, but after a breakup, a father wants to be there for his daughter. And you can see, you know, again, her tolerance and sometimes intolerance of his character and just his goofiness. It's the sort of comic relief in what it was otherwise at times a very serious, you know, again, it was very serious and hard-pressed episode. He was the comic relief you need, and we'll get to best quotes and best scenes, but, I mean... Rotko is a part of many of them in this episode. Yeah, so now you have Isla uh, actually doing a, a good amount. And of... If I may, just it's it, to to get to the center theme because it's yeah. not just Rotko, and I'm curious your thought as well to get to the importance of the team and them emphasizing that. Chrissy yeah. Everett has a, a major cameo, and they discuss her relationship with Tomjanovic as well, and its importance and. I just, I, I, it was interesting how that, I don't know, their focus on that. Did you notice that as well? Yeah, and I, I've noticed it throughout the series. It's one of the yeah. best things about this is because these tennis players have these support groups and the the knowledge out there on who they are mm-hmm. is is horrible. It, it's it's horrific. And I mean, if you're in if you're in our position and you're broadcasting matches, you're constantly reminded of that. Is like of oh wow. This guy, like a horse, I, I, man, before the series, I didn't know who the guy was. Yeah. That's bad because he's a major part of a central figure in the sport. Uh-huh. But hey, nobody's telling us who these guys are really. Uh, so, so that's been a really good feature. And then for Rocco to come in, and you're right, he immediately says, like, it's not just that he's a goofball, so he's going to be a comedian. Like, that's also his role uh, to Isla is look. Isla's taking herself way too seriously. We got to relax her and loosen her up. So I'm going to be the class clown here, and it's going to help her win tennis matches. Mm-hmm. And and that's what happened. And then, there, you know, there was this nice scene where, like, he didn't book a hotel past the first week. Tamjanovic won her third round match, and he was just like, she's going to be pissed. <laughs> and she was and she was so mad i just love it she's like dad i just don't want to do this right now like please tell me you're kidding because i've been there and shout out to my father i had a streak of tournaments i was 16 years old i was a little chubbier when i was younger and i kind of hit puberty 14 15 and you know i still kind of had the fi- figuring out how to use my body at that point but 16 it kind of all clicked and i just had the streak of like four weeks consecutively of really good tournaments. And I remember the third week was the highest level one I played and I made it to the final weekend in the back draw. And my dad goes, look, like Alex, I got to be honest with you. I was expecting to be back at work by now. I did not book a hotel because to be honest, you didn't think you were going to get this far either. Like, what do you want to do here? And I was like, well, what do you mean? What do I want? I was like, dad, like I got to play a match. Like, this is a you thing. This is not a me thing. And, Obviously, shout out to one of my buddies who was like, oh, just stay with us because my dad had to go back for work. And it ended up working out just fine. It wasn't an issue. But, like, this is a rite of passage in tennis. And I just thought it was wonderful to see even at that level. It's like sometimes that will happen to a dad where it's like, look, like, 
can't we just be honest with each other here as a joke? Like, did you think you were going to get this far? Because this is one of those, we'll figure it out when we get there. I love that he goes, I was trying to save you money. Which, by the way, is exactly what my dad would say as well. It's like, I get both sides of the argument. It's adorable. It's also true. Like, yeah. you, don't, you don't get refunded on these, these hotels that these players booked. And it's good insight. It's good insight for people who don't think about this stuff. Uh, and honestly, why would you think about this stuff? Uh, yeah. yeah, like the hotel thing is, is a real thing. And this was awesome. These were the kinds of moments behind the scenes that, I was dying. that we want. It's like, let's, let's, this is the advantage of Netflix having their cameras in areas where mm-hmm. media is not allowed to have their cameras. Like, let's get these moments. Love it. Awesome. Uh, however, I do have some critiques for... <laughs> Building up the Cornet Tomjanovic match, uh, which, <laughs> like, yes, I agree. Look, she made the quarterfinals of Wimbledon in 2021. I just, I never thought it was going to be possible, even though I did it last year. I just, it, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, like, what the hell? It's also they, like you were playing Alize Cornet, not Iga Swiatek. Like, Cornet's exactly. a veteran, but she's not even top 25 in the world, let alone you know top 10 or top. Like, no, that's a match you absolutely had a shot at winning. And I agree with you. That framing was, again, that's the sort of thing tennis fans will be like, come on. Now, at the same time, the mental hurdle for Isla Tamjanovic was extraordinarily real. Sure. And and look, it might have been because she said these things herself. It's not like the producers of Netflix made this up. But Isla was like, I've never been so emotional after a match. And she was emotional after the match. But like. It wasn't explained why. And frankly, I was a little bit confused why. I think it was just because she was having such a tough year. Yeah. But if that if that was the reason, you got to spell it out because, yeah. look, like she made the quarters, which for some players would be, at especially at, I think she was 29 years old at the time. If you don't make the quarterfinals until you're 29, like that is a really big deal. A really big deal. But... Like when you when you did it last year, it's just not as big a deal as maybe uh, they made it out to be. So uh, here's the thing with the Tumjanovic storyline from like a tennis standpoint strictly. And I thought that the storyline with her father and stuff was much more rewarding than than maybe it could have been. I actually think it punched above its weight. At the same time, like you look at the people involved in this, uh, Isla is interestingly a peg down from pretty much all of them. And... I thought overall it was a positive thing, like how much they were able to get out of her. But the tennis part of it does fall a little bit flat, I guess, until the U.S. Open. And then they'll get more, you know, reward, on-court reward out of Tomjanovic's participation in season one of Breakpoint. Yeah, I have two points off of this, and I'll be brief. Point A is I think this show has continued to struggle and lol, but we talked about this with Brian Koppelman. Um They've struggled to show the tennis. They've struggled to make the points themselves. Can we save this? No, exactly. That's why why it's a brief one because I just think fundamentally that struggle is why part B, it's important to have a good storyline because right now you're selling stories. You're not selling tennis. And I think the single most captivating element of the Tomjanovich storyline to both tennis fans and non-traditional tennis fans alike, you ought to know what the standard top 100, because 
we can't get to what the standard pro career looks like. We're not at, you know, go watch the Challengers trailer, I suppose, for that. <laughs> um, but, yeah. yeah, yeah, not actually. Um, but you need what is, like, the replacement level, the Trevor Ariza of pro tennis look like? And it's like, that's Tom Yanovich, where sometimes, and for the majority of the year, you're just like, eh, like, what's going on here? But on the right week, with the right draw, magic happens. And to be alongside for that magic is the most special thing to show because you can't fake those emotions. And we get that from Tom Yanovich. And dare I just say, you get the every man, the every woman's story in the top 100 in tennis through her, and she's the right vessel for it. Right, but they're not, I don't think they're building that up. Fair, and and I, fair. I agree with you. So in fact, it's our this job. reminds me of a moment. Sure, I guess so. Uh, we'll do it. We'll do it. <laughs> Uh, there was a moment where she's playing on like a tiny, tiny court. Yeah, yeah, yep. I know exactly what you're talking about. Yep. They're not highlighting that. Why yep. not? Like the average tennis fan should understand what a major tournament looks like where you have three really big stadiums, another three pretty big, like a, f a fair amount of fans. And then the rest is like, oh, there's like four rows. There's four rows of stands and that's it. And that is actually really interesting about the sport. And I think one of the best things about going uh, to, to see tennis live is that you can go to a tiny court and sit courtside uh, where it would cost you, I don't know, uh, on, on center court at Wimbledon, it would cost you 15 grand. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. It's like, I even think they put an effect in the crowd. Uh, when she won the match point, it sounded like this big stadium roared. <laughs> and I was just like, yeah, that's fake. It didn't sound like that. <laughs> yeah. I, I I think if they do that, though, then you have to get into, well, who's playing on court 22? And it's like, well, it's Echeverry versus Isla, Yari. The person um, you're in the dock. Isla Tomjanovic is playing on yeah, court 22. I guess I'm less worried about those details. I see your point. I'm just a little less worried about those right. sorts of things than finding the right storylines. Sure. And it's yeah. not that big a deal. I wasn't even no, going to bring right, it up. No, you're right. You're right. You, you bring up what you got to bring up, my friend. That's the name of the game. Yeah. Uh, okay, let's see. Let's uh, after Tomjanovic wins and makes the quarterfinals, uh, we go to back to Kiros Tsitsipas. The round three matchup is set, and we'll end the podcast on this topic uh, before we get into like the match beginning. Um, setting up the match, they've kind of been hinting at this contrast between. Nick's personality and Steph's personality uh, the entire time. Uh, but I, I thought we got uh, a quote from Tsitsipas that is worthy of, of scrutiny in the lead up. Uh, first of all, you know, Tsitsipas says he's considered the favorite because of his ranking. Real quick, is that true? Do you, do you remember what the odds were for that match? I feel like he wasn't the favorite. I think he was, though, because was he? he had won the title the week before on the grass okay. courts, and Kyrgios was a little iffier. Okay, cool. Yeah. Just was wondering if you remember that. Yeah. Nick says he's feared, you know, he wants to be feared. Goes back to Pass now, and he says that Nick takes an NBA basketball approach to tennis, describes that approach as, quote, uneducated, says tennis is a gentleman's sport, and, quote, this is not basketball. I don't like the quote. I hate the quote, actually. I I disagree with it in, in a lot of ways, and I, I think it can be damaging in, in certain ways. Um, I'll say this. If you are uh, 
well, okay. First, let, let's kind of parse this. He's saying that Nick's attitude reminds him of an attitude in a league that is about 70% black, calls that attitude uneducated, and then says tennis, which is about over 70% white, is a gentleman's sport, unlike that other sport, which is not educated. So that is, that is, there's a lot there that is a little bit uncomfy. And I know it got tweeted out before the episode came out. And I kind of had a thing where I was like, all right, this quote, it, it, it looks pretty bad, but let, let's see what happens in context. Let's just see how this kind of hits the ear in the middle of the documentary. And I don't think it got much better. What say you? I agree. The racial connotations of the quote of the quote are unacceptable. And particularly in an episode where Kyrios earlier expresses how he was treated for the color of his skin earlier in life and the way that he looked. And again, there are so many different words that could have been used that even if critical would have been fair if instead of uneducated, you say the unprofessional way. I don't think that would be criticized nearly as much if you want to contrast yourself and your professionalism your dedication to your craft and call curios a much more casual approach as opposed to again uneducated or the basketball style of things where you know again it's more about himself and i, I think that's what steph goes on to convey is nick's the center of the show and certainly as you talk as they talk through the dynamic of the match and then in the next episode they'll go into the post-match press conference Stephanos continues to convey those sorts of things. It's the connotation of the sport. It's it's the use of the term uneducated. And in contrast to that, to what, uh, what defines educated tennis? What defines this criteria of gentlemanness that is a standard that has to be up to Stefanos Tsitsipas' liking? Even if the ethos of the quote... Again, it, it was terrible word selection. There's no defending the quote. And... I do think, no, not that quote, but again, later on in the episode, there are things Stefanos says in characterizing Nick's tennis that are not unfair. That quote was not only unfair, it was unacceptable. Right. I mean, I think it's important to note that, like, first of all, Nick Kyrgios would say, yeah, I I idolize these NBA players. I want to be like them. Francis Tiafo gave an interview uh, with uh, The Uninterrupted, and he said, I'm trying to bring hoops culture to tennis. To frame that as... But it's not the basketball. It's the right, basketball with the uneducated. With the uneducated, yes. Yes. So, yes. so here's, why, here's why it's bad, right? Yes. Because we can, we can throw labels on it all we want, not even, and those labels might be right. Uh, but at the end of the day, I think here's the crux of why what he said is bad. It's because if you are a young boy who is interested in tennis and wants to bring a certain NBA culture to tennis and you think that's cool and that's what you want, okay? Uh and and you you idolize NBA players and you idolize tennis players and 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 you want to have fun with the sport in certain ways and maybe you like how Nick plays. 
when you have people saying that is not what the sport is supposed to be and that is unwelcome in the sport, you are turning away and gatekeeping what the sport is supposed to be about. Yeah. Right? No, I know we have a running bit of trying to make these episodes longer than the actual episodes themselves, and I promise I'll be short here, but it's just about unpacking what does he mean by NBA culture. It means, again, flair. It means spirit. It means individualism. It means not being afraid to embrace magic that you produce on the court in a way that the when he says gentlemanliness, you think of the class associated with a Roger Federer who could hit 17 winners in a row. You might get the same subtle fist pump, a wipe of his face of the towel, and it's on to the next point. That has been the traditional, traditional association, especially with a place like Wimbledon where you still have to wear all white clothing at the facility. Obviously a strong contrast to Nick Kyrgios who will walk off court wearing the black hat from some matches, which is just not something you see very frequently at Wimbledon. It's a rejection of that. It's a rejection of, again, bringing any sort of different into the tennis space. And whether that difference is manifested in a personality trait or, again, given the racial connotations of basketball in this instance, a a racial sense. It's just you don't want any of those associations. And unfortunately for Stefano Tsitsipas, there's just – it's very difficult to construe that quote, even if it was not his intent. It's hard to construe that quote in any other way. Sure, and I'm I'm sure it wasn't his intent, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I like that you kind of defined, okay, like what is uh, what is that that NBA uh, kind of uh, approach, right? But you're right, stuff like trash talk, yeah, showmanship, exactly. uh, gamesmanship, even, yeah, which is a lot about kind of what the match ends up being about. Now, this episode it ends on a cliffhanger. That's a new one. Series didn't do had never done loved that before. That. Loved that because I looked up when they were getting to the seats. I was like, "There's only three minutes left in this episode. What are they mm-hmm. doing?" And then they were like, "Next to be continued." I was like, "Oh, yeah." I, I was like, "You have me." And the best yep. is they showed you enough of the conflict and what you're getting into. Like, hey, this got real. Like, let let's show this. And I mean, I don't want to say to Pass's credit. But to Tsitsipas' credit, he was candid. He said exactly what was on his mind. And, you know, again, they Tsitsipas, there's a quote he talked about. I think it was in this episode. I didn't have a lot of friends growing up. I was really focused on Mm -hmm. doing what I was doing, and I was a little bit more individual and on my own. It's just kind of like, hey, that's Nick Kyrgios. That's the story we just learned about in this episode. And in reality, these are two people who may think about things diametrically differently, but are two very much their own characters on their own islands, living in their own world. These two talents who you just have a million questions about, which is, again, what makes the contrast and the conflict between them on court so fascinating. You understand every aspect of why that conflict is fascinating. And full circle, final sentence, that's what makes this episode the best of the series thus far. Well said, and, and I agree. And yeah, I do think it's important to point out, look, Pass said a lot in this episode. Yeah. All right, a lot. That the that one thing I think we've set our piece on. Yeah. But he said plenty of, plenty of other stuff about Nick Kyrgios that made for good documentary, yeah. good honesty, and uh, a, a very understandable and appropriate disdain and conflict uh, between between Steph and Nick uh, that 
again, in my opinion, is very rightfully focused on by the creators of Breakpoint. So that'll do it. This has Wait, been. Can I give you three rapid fires? Three rapid yep, fires. Go ahead. Biggest winner of the episode. You're asking me? Yeah. Uh, Rotko. Yeah, I think that's the right answer. I think the second biggest winner might be. I think it's Isla. Like Isla looks really good in this. She comes out of being like, "Whoa!" Like, is she a quarterfinalist? Like, she's gonna look really good in these last six, uh, five episodes because really good things happened to her at the end of last season. So I agree. Team Tomjanovic, the biggest winner. Best quote. Who gave you the best quotes from the episode? That, that's your job. Person? I, I, you, you gotta. No, I, who is the most captivating? Like, who are you like? I would like to hear more from this person. I mean, look, we, we hear about this guy. I mean, we hear from this guy all the time because he's on television. Uh, but but my favorite contribution was was Roddick after Nick was like, if I can win in doubles, I can win in singles. And Andy comes on and is like, no, that's a stretch. Like, yeah. that's ridiculous. My winner is Mortoglu because, again, the confidence with which he says everything, like, it actually leads to a candidness. He's so arrogant that he tells you exactly what's on his mind. He's like, look, this guy could be good, but he's soft. And you're like, I, I mean, that's not what he says, but it's the like the the gist of the message. Yeah, look, I, I don't agree with you, especially on good. Tsitsipas. I don't I, – I think he's just going to say – Buttered I think up. he's just going to build him up. Yeah. 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 All right. Fair story. You want to see more of coming out of this one. That's my last one. I, um, Anything you think they need to build off of? I mean, they have a freaking episode seven part two. So I guess they're building off of the whole episode, but is there anything in particular? There wasn't much that I'm like, uh, you, you should have given me more of this. Yeah. I would have liked to hear more on people's thoughts on how they approach Novak, and maybe we get more of that as the series progresses. But we got a lot of how they approach Nadal, and we got a taste of beating Novak at Wimbledon's the toughest thing. I would, I just want a little bit more of that because, you know, again, listening to players talk about tennis players is very fun, and so that's what I want to see more of. But no, those are my three rapid fires for you just to end the episode. This has been episode six, belonging. The Breakpoint Show, available on the Cracked Rackets network of podcasts and Gilgross YouTube, as always. See ya for episode seven. We will release every other day from now on.